part of living your best life involves thinking at least a little about how you can set yourself up to live a good life in the future. If you're of a certain age, maybe you're keeping track of things like your cholesterol or your blood sugar, or maybe you're keeping an eye on your 401k balance with an eye towards ensuring your future well-being. But there is another lesser-known metric that can also be predictive of both your current and your future health and longevity. And just like those other markers, it's a number you should know. All right, all right, everyone, take your seats or lace up your sneaks. We're about to get started. Welcome to the Change Academy podcast. I'm your host, Monica Reinagel. And in this show, we talk about what it takes to create healthier mindsets and habits in our own lives, as well as how we can create healthier communities and workplaces. Whether you're working on your own health and well-being or promoting healthy behaviors is your job, we're going to talk about what works, what's hard, what's needed, and what's next. Before we jump into today's topic, I have to share the most amazing email from a listener, Joanna. She wrote, I've been listening to the podcast since its launch in 2020, and I found it incredibly helpful. And recently, I began re-listening to episodes starting back at episode one. A few months ago, I had my third child, and I found that my goals and my ambitions have changed pretty significantly since I first began listening to The Change Academy. I'm really appreciating the strong foundation that you, and at the time, Brock too, established for having a compelling reason, for aligning it with your objectives, and embracing that change is forever. My why has shifted a lot since I first started listening three years ago, and I'm impressed by how applicable those earlier episodes still are. I think it's a sign of timeless or at least long-standing principles and advice related to change management. And I also got a wonderful voicemail the same week from another longtime listener, Amir. He's been using the tools that we share here on the podcast and working really hard towards a pretty ambitious goal, which he has now achieved. And just listening to him describe what he's accomplished as a dream come true I mean, it means so much to both me and Brock to hear from people who are not just listening to this podcast to, I don't know, kill time on the treadmill, but are actually using it as a tool to improve their life satisfaction in concrete ways. It just doesn't get any better than that. So thank you to both Joanna and Amir for putting a little extra wind in my sails this week. And as it happens, Life satisfaction is what I want to talk about today. So if I were to ask you how you're feeling today, you'd probably give me an answer that would reflect your current mood. And that might be great. It might be crappy. It might be somewhere in between. But for the most part, our moods do go up and down. They tend to be fairly ephemeral. Now, if you're going through some particularly tough circumstances, or for that matter, some really terrific circumstances, that can obviously color your mood in a more extended way. But actually, the effect of external circumstances on our internal weather are actually less dramatic and far more fleeting than you might expect. Now, if on the other hand, you find yourself with a consistently low mood, regardless of what's going on objectively in your life, now, that can be a sign of clinical depression, and that's something you want to take seriously and seek help for. But mood 
isn't really what I want to talk about today. So instead of asking you how you're feeling today, I'm curious to know your answer to a different question. How satisfied are you with your life overall? And I want you to take the whole thing into consideration and just think about the best possible life for you. How satisfied are you with your life overall? And I want to say that our sense of satisfaction with our lives depends not just on how we feel our life compares to that best possible version of our lives. It also depends on whether or not we feel like we're moving toward that best possible life. In other words, we might identify some pretty big gaps between our current situation and what we might think is our best possible life. But if we also feel like we're taking concerted and effective action to close that gap, that in and of itself can contribute a lot to your sense of satisfaction. So what I'm talking about here is often described in psychological research or terminology as subjective well-being or SWB. And greater subjective well-being is associated with greater health and longevity. Now, of course, in order to report some sort of correlation or association, researchers first had to come up with some sort of standardized way to measure or report subjective well-being. And there are a couple of different standardized assessments, but one of the more popular ones was developed and validated by psychologist Ed Diener. So are you curious? Would you like to know how you score? I have put this assessment in the show notes, a link to it in the show notes for today. So you should be able to click through to the show notes page on our website at changeacademypodcast.com and take the assessment. It's super quick. It's five questions. If you want to just pause the audio and go do that and get your score and come back, I'll wait. Okay. So now you may, or maybe not yet, but you could know your score for subjective well-being. So now what? Psychological researchers estimate that 50% of your SWB can be chalked up to your innate personality type. You were simply born with a certain baseline that remains remarkably constant throughout your life. Now, your SWB is also going to be affected by your circumstances, things like your job, your health, family situation, what you do for a living, your living situation, your financial situation. These are all going to play a role. And many of these circumstances are beyond our control, or we only have limited control over them. You might recall an episode that I did with Brock Armstrong called The Wisdom to Know the Difference. And in that episode, we talked about the fact that we sometimes claim that something is out of our control, but the reality is that we're just sort of afraid of what changing that circumstance might require from us or cost us. So deciding that something is outside of our control sort of relieves us of the responsibility for it. You know, we don't have to confront the fact that we might actually be choosing to stay in a job or a relationship or a situation or to continue to perpetuate habits that are making us unhappy or unwell. But when we hide this fact from ourselves that we may actually be choosing these, that really just ensures that we stay stuck. It's like putting ourselves in jail 
and then locking the door and hiding the key from ourselves. Even if it doesn't lead to a change in our external circumstances, even if it doesn't cause us to actually do something different, simply admitting that we are choosing the status quo can at least give us more of a sense of agency in our lives. And that can really change how we feel about our lives. Research shows that when we feel we're in the driver's seat, just that in and of itself helps us to feel more satisfied with our lives. Time also plays an interesting role in our subjective well-being. I just finished reading a fascinating book by Jonathan Rauch called The Happiness Curve, in which he explores a surprisingly robust body of research that shows that our life satisfaction or our subjective well-being often hits a low point in our mid-40s or early 50s. And when you're in that trough, that life satisfaction trough it's pretty easy to imagine that this downward trajectory of satisfaction might just continue throughout the second half of our lives. But counterintuitively, that curve generally starts to turn around. And they've shown this across an astonishing variety of cultures, circumstances, and even species. They've been able to see this effect in some of the higher primates. It appears that subjective well-being often reaches a low point in early midlife, but then it starts to increase in our 50s and continues to increase through our 60s, 70s, until the very end of our lives. Now, it's not that the objective realities of our lives necessarily improve. I mean, as Betty Davis reminds us, aging is not for sissies. What it seems to be instead is that as we age our values and our priorities shift in some remarkably predictable ways. We seem to get better at processing emotions. We have more perspective. And all of this seems to result in an increase in our well being, despite the fact that we may well be dealing with more physical challenges or losses or other adverse events as we get older. So if you are in your 60s or beyond, perhaps thinking back over the last couple of decades of your life, you might be able to recognize something similar in your own trajectory, just sort of in hindsight. But if you are currently in your 40s or your 50s and you find yourself experiencing some midlife malaise, hang in there. It generally gets better. Now, in the meantime, in addition to our innate baseline, and our circumstances, and just this time factor, there's one other factor that contributes to our subjective well-being, and that's the choices that we make, the things that we truly do have control over. So let's talk about those. I mean, honestly, this entire show is basically about enhancing our subjective well-being through the choices we make. So you can pretty much just you know, pick an episode, any episode. Some of those choices that we make are, and that we talk about on this podcast, are cognitive, choosing how we think about things, how we talk to ourselves, how we interpret events, and how we tell the story of our lives. Practices that improve mindfulness have also been shown to enhance subjective well-being, whether that's mindful eating, mindful movement, 
tuning into our sensations or our surroundings, forest bathing anyone, or mindful interactions with others. And lately, I've come to think of monotasking as the ultimate mindfulness practice. Try it. I dare you. Social interactions can also have a really big impact on our well-being. We just heard a report from our attorney general on the impact of loneliness on the health and well-being of American adults and probably not limited to just American adults. So seeking out and nurturing connections with friends, with family, with coworkers, with mentors or mentees, or even people who start out as strangers, but who share your interest or your passion in some sort of activity or a cause that you care about. These connections have a big impact. Cultivating gratitude and one of my favorites, committing random acts of kindness. These are also powerful well-being boosters that don't cost anything, not even a lot of time or effort. It's such a small investment for such a big payoff. And finally, setting and working toward goals, not just achieving them, but working toward them, especially when those goals are ones that we find meaningful. All of that can also give us a powerful sense of purpose and satisfaction. And that's another big ingredient in our subjective well-being. So if you're not sure where in that list to start, as I said, you have 112 episodes now to pick from, but let me suggest that you might start by checking out or reviewing our 50,000-mile tune-up series. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes because that's really kind of our all systems approach to enhancing life satisfaction or subjective well-being. And before we wrap up, I also have to send out a little shout out and thank you to Michael because he was the very first one to tap on our brand new little support button and buy us a coffee. So if you have found the Change Academy podcast useful in improving your life satisfaction, you should see that support button somewhere in your podcatcher. And believe me, you cannot believe what a boost something that small can give to people who on the other side of the microphone are creating content for you. Or you know what? You don't have to buy us a coffee. You can also just send us an email or a voicemail like Joanna and Amir did. That is every bit as appreciated. Our email, if you don't know by now, is hello at changeacademypodcast.com. And the link where you can just record us a quick voicemail is changeacademypodcast.com slash voicemail. Okay, that's it for me. I hope you found this episode satisfying. All right. Thanks, everyone. This has been the Change Academy podcast with Monica Reinagle. Our show is produced by me, Brock Armstrong. You'll find links to everything Monica mentioned in today's episode in our show notes, as well as on our website at changeacademypodcast.com, where you can also send us an email or leave us a voicemail. If you're finding this podcast helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or even better, give our show a rating or review in your favorite podcast app. Or, best of all, share this episode with a friend or colleague you think would enjoy it. Now here's to the changes we choose.